Oh boy, here it comes. Jeff's doing a podcast. You're listening to the Left Wing Pilot Podcast with your host, Jeff Waltuck. Here he is, Jeff Waltuck. Welcome to the show. That's what they used to say to minor league baseball players when they got called up to the bigs, the major league, for the first time. Welcome to the show. I wonder if they still do. Does that make me sound old? I can't keep up with all the new expressions. Episode 1. The pilot episode. And they aren't happy about it. I want to tell you a little about commercial aviation, so I need you to know just a couple of things. Commercial aviation is a term of art and has a very specific meaning according to the FAA. But I'm going to use it in the everyday sense. The kind of flying you think of when you book a ticket and have flight attendants on a jet plane that you board via a jetway from a large commercial airport. Commercial flights have two pilots in the cockpit. According to the FAA, one is the pilot in command and the other is the second in command. But colloquially, they're called the pilot and co-pilot. In the industry, we call them the captain and first officer, or FO for short. Our airlines want their passengers to feel safe and comfortable, as much as they want their pilots to be professional. They also want us to have a certain look. They dress us in uniforms, and they don't allow us to have long hair or grow beards or have visible tattoos. You can debate the merits of not having beards. They interfere with the oxygen masks. But many non-US-based airlines allow their pilots to have beards. And I don't think you can make any argument that a tattoo necessarily makes you a worse pilot. But the industry wants the public to think of us as interchangeable, fungible, all the same. And for the most part, I think they've succeeded. I think most flyers don't give too much thought to who their pilots are. But if you think about it for just half a second, you realize that simply cannot be true. Some pilots are simply better than others. I don't want to get too technical, but assuming a standard bell curve distribution of the quality of pilots, half of them are below average. I grant you it's a high average, but let that sink in. Half of all pilots are below average. After three decades of flying, my career has been filled with below average pilots. Boy, do I have some stories. One of my favorite stories comes secondhand from a captain and later confirmed by the first officer about the time that that captain didn't realize that the FO was not on board the aircraft and pushed the aircraft back from the gate only to see the FO waving from inside the terminal. They went back to the gate to get him and eventually departed with a full crew. I've had the opportunity to fly with some extremely interesting individuals over the years. Many have had secondary careers, such careers as painters or even medical doctors. I absolutely love getting to know most of the people that I fly with, but as you might imagine, there are times when you fly with someone who you don't like or get along with, and to paraphrase Iceman from Top Gun, you may not like them and they may not like you. For decades, the primary source of pilots for the airlines were retired military pilots. You can probably picture what that demographic looks like. Men. The military simply did not allow women to serve in potential combat roles, thus limiting their opportunities. While women have been increasing in numbers and workforces for decades, the number of women in aviation have lagged that of other industries because of the pipeline supplied by the military. But the number of women is now on the rise. So too is that of minorities. And just like your doctor, no one cares who fills the role as long as they are the best. The best. Unfortunately, not everyone is the best. Heck, half of them are below average. I know, I know, it's a high average. But at least the airline should be hiring the best pilots available, right? We should do that in every industry. Hire the best, most qualified person for the job. 
I don't think anyone debates that. Or do they? Let's look at a couple of examples and see if we can define best. I'll start with a couple of non-pilot examples. My local grocery store has a program where they employ bag boys who have Down syndrome. It's a wonderful program that gives individuals fulfilling employment and a job that they can perform satisfactorily. You probably already see where I'm going with this. If the grocery store had two applicants and one did and one did not have Down syndrome, the one that didn't have Down syndrome is probably more qualified. Should the grocery store be required to hire the non-Down syndrome individual? I can hear you say, but the grocery store probably gets a tax break. Okay, let's say that they do. At the end of the day, doesn't the business have a fiduciary duty to maximize profits? Heck, maybe they can pay that person less because they don't have other career options. Maybe that person is more likely to be a long-term employee and saves the company money in the long run. Sure, they might not be the best at bagging groceries, but they're the best for the grocery store and they do the job good enough. I know, you don't like that example. I get it, I'll leave it for now but I'm gonna circle back to it. What makes the best waitress in a restaurant? Experience? If I owned a small restaurant on the Mexican border, I would rather have a zero-time bilingual waitress than the world's most experienced waitress who only spoke English. I mean, I could teach waitressing far easier than I could teach Spanish, and I'd probably attract more customers. But back to flying for a minute. People often ask me if I've ever been scared in flight. Concerned is a better term, and the answer is yes. What concerns me the most are passengers that might have medical emergencies. Today, the airlines have great tools to address these situations, but that hasn't always been the case. Years ago, I was flying with a first officer that was certainly on the left side of the curve. We were at cruise when two 19-year-old flight attendants called to let us know that an infant was turning blue and not breathing. Listen. I was well-trained in aircraft systems and weather-related emergencies, but at 29 years old, I was ill-equipped to handle that situation. My FO was a bit older and had two kids. They calmly talked the flight attendants through what to do and saved the day, if not a life. I ask you, who was the better pilot that day? Sometime later, I was flying with a pilot who had the opportunity to attend the Army War College. It's a privilege and not many pilots get to go. While in class there, everyone is stripped of their rank and status and attends class in civilian clothes. I was told that eventually individuals' details become apparent and that that class was filled with some pretty impressive people and the token pilot. The idea was that they could all learn from each other's perceptions and experiences. That pilot learned a lot, but so too did those generals. It makes our military stronger. So I ask you, wouldn't you want the most diverse set of experiences in the cockpit? Who's the better pilot? The one who dropped bombs in Iraq or the one who gave sightseeing tours in the Grand Canyon? Is three months of flying in Africa better or worse than someone who flew 10 years with a banner behind their plane flying up and down the beach advertising Corona? Are all hours equal or you just hire the person who has the most time? Do you look at other factors? The last person I want to fly with is someone who has the exact same set of experiences that I do. I want diversity. There isn't a test you can take to see who's better. And in today's airline environment, it might actually be a good idea to have some legal experience. What with all the regulations and procedures. But rest assured, there are evaluations to make sure that everyone is good enough. And I'll say it again, it's a high average. 
So just like the bag boy who is good enough and the waitress that can be trained, pilots are required to pass strenuous evaluations and are trained in ways of flying that might not comport with their prior experience. You know, like transporting people instead of firing missiles. I'm not sure if you noticed, but I use the term waitress instead of server and bag boy instead of what? Grocery packer? Sorry, I refer to their gender. I guess I could have said waiter. It really didn't matter. It was a hypothetical. I'm sure you've heard the term executor or administrator as the person who administers a deceased person's will. But did you know historically that executor and administrator were male and that the term for the female doing the exact same role was executrix or administrix? (laughs) Language, it's funny. Males and females are both attorneys and doctors and plumbers and pilots. We changed firemen to firefighter and policemen to police officer, but we just eliminated the executrix and administrix in favor of executor and administrator. I guess we just dropped the suffix denoting female and now use the root to refer to all genders. I guess it's similar to how more and more people are dropping the S from actress and just referring to everyone as an actor. To me, that's what makes the flight attendant stewardess kerfuffle so interesting. Ships and trains had stewards long before there were planes in the sky. When planes took to the air and that job was staffed mostly by women, they added the S to make it more gender appropriate for the time, all of the executrix of yesteryear. But when more men started joining the ranks, they of course did not want to be called stewardesses, no more than women wanted to be called policemen. But instead of having stewardesses and stewards working side by side like actresses and actors or waitresses and waiters, we adopted the more gender neutral flight attendant. If you ask me, they should have just dropped the S and gone back to steward and made it all inclusive. But it always strikes me as funny when a female flight attendant gets offended by the term stewardess. It's gender appropriate. Anyway, I digress. One of the privileges of being a pilot is the ability to ride in the cockpit. If you can picture an airplane cockpit, there are two sets of controls and usually a single extra seat that sometimes folds down in front of the cockpit door. It's called the jump seat. It's not a comfortable seat, but as many of us don't live in the city in which we're based, it provides us the ability to commute to work, especially when the flight is full. Well, a while back, we had a newly hired first officer request permission to ride in the jump seat to get to work. They were still on probation and a little panicked that they wouldn't make their flight assignment. I need to stop here and explain a little procedure and etiquette. When we ride in the cockpit as a jump seater, we're required to dress a little nicer than if we were otherwise riding as a passenger. Now, this particular first officer was a little underdressed and was very apologetic. Again, almost to the point of panicky. We calmed him down and eventually got him to work. Well, why do I tell this story? It's because I want you to imagine what this pilot was wearing that could have been considered underdressed. I'm going to stop for a second and give you a moment to picture exactly what they were wearing, what they themselves might have considered to be underdressed. Got it? Got the picture? Is it a t-shirt? Is it jeans? Shorts? Were they unshaven? Just sloppy with their shirt untucked? Were they wearing tennis shoes? I'm not trying to put an image in your head. You already have an image. I'm just trying to guess it. Now let me tell you what they were wearing. Sandals and a sundress. Surprised? I'd be surprised if you weren't. Before I get into why I think you might be surprised, I want to ask you, honestly, were you at all confused while I was telling my story? Besides not knowing the gender of the jump seater, male or female, which by the way is completely irrelevant to the story, were you ever once confused about how many people I was talking about? 
Were you picturing a group of underdressed individuals all trying to cram into a single cockpit jump seat? I don't think so. Listen, I know that many people, especially some that I fly with, are disparaging of women pilots. Some are disparaging of minorities as well. I'm going to sound like a broken record, but half the pilots I fly with are below average. And yes, some of them are women and some of them are minorities. Understanding that biases exist, I try not to feed anyone's confirmation bias. If I tell a disparaging story about a woman or a minority, I try really hard to tell an interesting and informative story and strip the individual's identity from the story. I certainly wouldn't use their name, and I'd never say that I flew with a black pilot and he made an awful landing, but I would surely tell someone that he had a terrible landing, and that was easy. I can just say he. It doesn't reveal their race. In fact, it would be really awkward to insert his race into the story. But if a pilot was a woman, it's nearly impossible to avoid it. I have three options. I can say I had a trip with a first officer and the first officer was really nice and the first officer was actually a really great pilot, but holy cow, did that first officer really bounce the landing. Or I could dishonestly say I had a trip with a first officer and he was really nice and he was actually a really great pilot, but holy cow, did he really bounce that landing. Or I could say I had a trip with a first officer and they were really nice and they were actually a really great pilot, but holy cow, did they really bounce that landing. The point of the story is the awful landing, not the race or gender of the pilot, regardless of how badly they screwed up the landing. And yes, I would have said they. And that's what I want to talk about. Pronouns. If I were inventing the English language, I'd create a gender nonspecific third person singular pronoun. We have a plural one they. Not all languages do. You may be familiar with Spanish. It has two third-person plural pronouns, one for a group made up exclusively of women, and one that's used for men, or men and women. I sure do like the English version better. Many languages attach a gender to inanimate objects. In an interesting study, native speakers of various languages were asked to describe things. The descriptions of identical things were described differently, based on the speaker's languages that attach gender in their vocabularies. Forgive me, I may get the specifics wrong, but in German, for example, the word bridge is feminine, while in Spanish it is masculine, and of course in English it's neutral. The German participants in the experiment described a picture of the Golden Gate Bridge, again, I may have some of the specifics wrong, as beautiful, while the Spanish participants described the bridge as strong. The English speakers use more utilitarian descriptions. My point is that language matters and that perception can become reality. Can you remember any of your teachers from elementary school? Maybe it's a woman. Do you remember her name? I bet that when you were first introduced to her, your third grade teacher perhaps, before she even told you her name, she first told you, you, your third grade eight-year-old self, that she was married. Yep, your teacher, Mrs. Smith, told you that she was a Mrs. before she told you that her name was Smith. Men don't do that. I'd have to look for a wedding ring to find out if Mr. Smith was married. But what eight-year-old does that? Sometime, I believe it was in the 70s, some women began to challenge the requirement that they divulge their marital status by adopting the revolutionary new abbreviation, Ms. Honestly, it made my life easier. If I looked in a directory and saw someone was Beth Myers, I didn't have to awkwardly stumble over whether to call her Miss or Mrs. I could just call them Ms. Myers and then I'd be done with it. I've actually seen a proposal for an all-inclusive gender non-specific third person singular pronoun, Z, spelled X-E. Boy, is that awkward to see in print. It pulls you right out of the subject of what you're reading. It looks like a political statement right there in your face. Maybe we end up there. Maybe we don't. Language evolves. 
Lots of people didn't care for Miz. Some still don't. But it's good to have options, right? But not only is Z good as an alternative to solving the he-she conundrum, it also solves a problem we didn't even know we had until recently. Individuals who are gender non-binary. I'm not even going to get into someone's gender identity for the moment, but it's a fact that there are a non-zero number of people out there who are born with both a penis and a vagina. I believe the medical term is hermaphroditic. So you tell me, should I use he or she? I'm waiting. Z anyone? I didn't think so. What about they or them? Didn't I demonstrate earlier that that can work for an individual? I mean, didn't I? But here's the thing. Just like Z can pull you out of whatever it is you're reading or listening to, so can they. But it doesn't have to. In fact, it shouldn't. Remember that hypothetical first officer that made that terrible landing? Now what if instead of saying that they screwed up the landing, I said they screwed up the landing? Or instead of saying that they were a really good pilot up until that point, I said they was a really good pilot? I mean, come on. Who's trying to make an issue over gender at that point? It's clearly me, not them. I mean, it's me, not them. We do this all the time without even thinking about it. I can't tell you how mad I get when it's raining and the Amazon driver leaves my package out instead of ringing the doorbell. I yell to the heavens, why couldn't they just ring the bell? I didn't see it happen. I don't know the gender of the delivery person. I just instinctively said they. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Actually, my Amazon drivers are pretty good. It's my mailman. I mean letter carrier, or postal worker, whatever. I mean, seriously, my mailman is actually a man. Want to start a fight with your next male flight attendant? Call him a stewardess. But if a kindly 80-year-old man calls the young millennial female flight attendant over by saying, excuse me, stewardess, where's the harm? This man has known flight attendants as stewardesses for most of his life. In fact, they've been stewardesses for most of the history of aviation. Most of the flight attendants I fly with get it. They think it's quaint. But if some 30-year-old businessman says, hey, stewardess, well, now we have a different situation. And that's kind of my point for this whole meandering tangent of a podcast. It's all about context. We choose to offend when we say they, or call a woman a fireman. But they choose to be offended if I don't know their preferred pronouns, and they appear to me to be a man, and I refer to him as he or him. My grandfather went to his grave calling black people coloreds. I cringed then, and I'm cringing now but I honestly don't know if he ever, quote, got the memo. The NAACP was, after all, an initialism for the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, but they're by no means the only organization that moved away from their name and used their initials. American Telephone and Telegraph. Please, go, ask anyone who works at an AT&T store what a telegraph even is. The Young Men's Christian Association became known as the YMCA, and in 2010, they changed their name to the Y in order to be more welcoming and more inclusive to more people. The Bank of Montreal changed their name to BMO. British Petroleum is now BP. Each, I believe, is trying to obscure its limiting past and look toward the future. Don't even get me started on Prince. Proper nouns are changed all the time. Common nouns like police officer, firefighter, administrator, executor, actor, flight attendant, they change too. It's time to rethink our pronouns. But back to initialisms, and this one comes out of left field, literally. Ever heard of Henry Chadwick? He invented the box score, and to this day he's the only journalist ever inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. In the 1850s, he began keeping records of baseball games. 
He used a shorthand to record the events in games. He invented the concepts of batting averages and ERAs, or earned run averages, for players and pitchers. In doing so, he had to evaluate outs, and not all outs are equal. From a statistical perspective, a sacrifice fly does not count against a batter's batting average. So he would annotate that with an S. When it came to recording strikeouts, he used, oh shoot, the S was taken. Well, back then, the most common way to refer to a strikeout was to say that the batter was struck. So he adopted the K as the last letter in struck to denote a strikeout. It probably wasn't until the 1980s when people started to use the backwards K to indicate a called third strike. And over the years, teams and fans have kept track of their pitchers' strikeouts, some in real time hanging Ks in the outfield as their beloved starters rack up strikeouts. On July 5th, 2017, Jaime Garcia took the mound for the Atlanta Braves to face the Houston Astros. Jaime didn't have his best game. He was pulled after six innings and after giving up five earned runs. The Braves went on to lose that game 10-4 and Jaime was saddled with the loss. He did manage to record five strikeouts in that time, which is about average. But after his first three, a fan posted a photo on Twitter of the racist KKK sign out in left field. I told you, literally, left field. The fan was pilloried on social media, so much so that she eventually deleted her Twitter account. What makes this interesting is not the naive fan, but that once she learned what the K's were for, she doubled down. Now, she eventually apologized, but in the interim, she argued that since some fans might take offense to it, baseball should never use it. Until the late 1930s, the swastika was a symbol of good luck. But I wouldn't put it on my front door now. Words and language have meaning, and those meanings change and differ based on usage and intent. Context matters. Language changes. Thanks for listening. You've just finished an episode of the Left Wing Pilot Podcast with your host, Jeff Waltuck. Goodbye.